Let's look to the Lord for his blessing. Again, our loving God and Father, we come into your presence and we give you thanks, our Father. We thank you, our Father, for a Redeemer that lives and that one day will stand here on the earth and rule. Our Father, we we thank you this morning for your word. And our Father, we just uh, pray that as your word is open this morning and as uh, I have the opportunity and the privilege to share, our Father, that I might indeed have a message that would be suited not only to the hearers but to myself as well. Father, I would just ask your, your blessing on our time and on your word. We ask it in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Okay, I, I wanted to start out this morning by telling you a story. Um, I love stories. It's one of my, my favorite things, actually, to listen to a story. I'm not a big reader, uh, so I like just listening to a story. So I'm going to tell you a story this morning, and some of you may recognize it, and uh, perhaps uh, some of you have read the story, but it begins... And, and actually, there's a there's a, a lot of application. The reason I'm not just telling you a story to tell you a story, but there's a lot of application uh, in this story, uh, not only to the gospel, um, which I plan to share as well, but as as well to believers, um, as I, uh, I pray most of us are, uh, many or if not most of us are here today. So the story begins with a 15-year-old teenage boy who runs away from home. Now, he was a normal... Uh, average teenage boy, perhaps a little big for his age, but um, in all other respects, fairly normal. And he runs away from home when he's told that his parents are getting a divorce. I can't imagine. You know, I know that that has to be hard, I'm sure, at any age. Um, But at 15 years old, to be told that you need to make a decision as to who you're going to live with, your mother or your father. And it was apparently too much for this young man. And uh, he ran away from home, and the next six years of his life uh, were spent literally traveling around the world looking for his identity. Um, So between the ages of 15 and 21, six years, uh, this young man became a con artist. During that time, he cashed more than $2.5 million in forged checks. It's a lot of money, even today, but this was back in the early 60s. So you can imagine, that was probably oh, between 4 and $5 million in today's money. And he did this by impersonating an airline pilot, uh, a doctor, a lawyer, and uh, even a college professor, among other things. Hard to believe. He must have been big for his age, I guess. You know, he started at 15. Um, but that's what he did. And he traveled around the world, as I said, several times until he was caught. Now, that's a clue. If you haven't recognized the story yet, that's a clue. His name uh, is Frank Abagnell. And these six years of his life were chronicled in a book called Catch me if you can. Some of you may have read the book, or, like me, not being an avid reader, I watched the movie. You know, and I saw the movie years ago, and I was asked to speak at uh, a young people's meeting uh, up in, uh, well, north of here. I won't give a street because I can't remember it. But um, 
And I shared this this message, or uh, the beginnings at least of this message, with a, a group of uh, teens and, and early 20s. And, you know, I thought at the time that this message would be very uh, apropos, you know, something uh, that a lot of young people are looking for today is, is their identity. And, uh, and I realized as I thought about sharing this morning that this message is really good for any age. And, in fact, um, all through our lives we need to keep these things in mind. So I'm going to share, and uh, let me finish the story before, before I do, though. Um, so Frank Abagnale spent several years in a French jail, can imagine you don't forge uh, two and a half million dollars worth of checks without somebody coming and looking for you. He spent years in a French jail, and then a Swedish jail, and then an American jail. <clears throat> Lucky for him. Until he was paroled and he was asked to work for the FBI, helping to catch others who were forging checks and conning the banks, as he had done. So, Something that I found interesting about this particular story was that um, Frank apparently had a conscience, which he found out, he said, during this time. You know, he learned who he really was during this time. And interestingly, if you think about it, he learned who he really was uh, during a time when he was posing as so many different people that he was not. In a way, it makes sense, but in a way, it's kind of interesting. He learned out who he really was uh, during a time when he was posing as people that he was not. One of the examples that he gives uh, in the book is that a couple of times, you know, when he was uh, posing as a pilot, an airline pilot, and he was deadheading, okay, now that's... I, I wouldn't know what that is, but I'm sure probably Alan would be able to tell us. It's actually hitching a ride on, a, on an empty seat in the cockpit of an airliner, and pilots are able to travel uh, for free by doing this. But while he was doing this, while he was uh, deadheading and hitching a ride, um, and, and since he was posing as a pilot, he was asked a few times during that time if he'd like to take control of the airliner. Hmm. Okay. You know, and he said that he accepted the offer. Whoa. He accepted the offer not to arouse suspicion. But then he quickly switched over to autopilot, uh, knowing that he was not a pilot and that he had the lives of a 100 or more uh, passengers, customers, and uh, not to mention his own life in his hands, and so he switched to autopilot. You know, I, I thought about that, I thought, wow, can you imagine uh, a plane full of passengers that had no idea, no idea who was at the at the wheel, so to speak. I know that's not the right word, Alan. Um, and imagine, he they had no idea that he had no idea how to fly the plane. Amazing, incredible. You know, it made me think, uh, you know, just as an aside, it made me think that that uh, you know, are we are we trying to fly our own lives sometimes rather than switching to autopilot, uh, the almighty great autopilot, God our Father? We need to let Him. You know, I, I read a bumper sticker years ago. I'm sure all of you have seen it. It says, "God is my co-pilot," and then a few years later, I guess somebody decided to one-up 
but I think it's really good. And you may have seen this one too. And it says, if God is your co-pilot, you need to switch seats. That's really what, it's true. It's true, right? If God is our co-pilot, we need to let God pilot the plane, as Frank should have, as he did, uh, switch to autopilot and let let uh, go, uh, let the pilot, uh, the autopilot, take control. So that's the story I wanted to share. And today I'm wondering um, if perhaps some of us here are posers, posing, posing as something that we're not. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. You know, I think, uh, as I mentioned, a lot of times young people, we think of young people and how this uh, applies to young people. You know, you're, you're 15, early 20s, and you really are still looking for your identity. You're looking for who you are. And, uh, you know, a lot of people search well beyond uh, their youth. And, in fact, I would say that to some extent, probably a lot of us are still searching from time to time uh, for who we are. But, you know, we have a, a, again, courtesy of Glenn, brother, I keep, you know, uh, we know who we are in Christ. And, you know, we can always refer back to the the scriptures to find out who we are. But, you know, uh, a lot of times people are caught between who they are and who they think people want them to be. And that was the case of Frank Abagnale. That was my case in my early years, and as I said, from time to time, even to this day. When I was in my teens, uh, as an example, you know, I use an example from my teens because it seems very far removed, you know. Uh, But I confess to you openly, there are times uh, when I still do things uh, that are probably, you know, very similar to what I'm about to describe. Uh, when I was in my teens, you know, what I would do sometimes is I would act in a way that was totally different in front of my friends, you know, at school, uh, even in the neighborhood, and I would act in a way that was completely 180 degrees different from how I would act in front of my parents or in front of the church leaders uh, or Sunday school teachers or, you know, even just people that I went to church with and knew that they wouldn't agree with what I was doing or saying. And I did this, I did this, or, you know, so I thought, so that I would be accepted. Um, You know, perhaps, perhaps many of you uh, can relate to that. Um, You know, I wasn't pretending to be a pilot. I wasn't forging checks. Okay. Although, you know, if I had known... You know, 2.5 million, that's a lot of money. I, no, I don't, I don't think I'd have gone for that. Uh, but, you know, I was doing things that were not honoring to the Lord. And I had forgotten who I was and who I am in Christ. You know, I had lost my true identity, if you will. Um, you see, I, I had trusted the Lord Jesus as my Savior when I was eight years old. Here at Bible Truth, well, not here, but 7th Street. At 7th Street, I had trusted the Lord at a very early age. And so by the time I was in my teens, you know, I had uh, been saved for many years, half of my life at that time. And, uh, you know, I 
I knew what was honoring to the Lord, and I knew what wasn't honoring to the Lord. Um, and I can tell you that some of the things that I did and said and the way I acted uh, were not in sync with who I was and who I am in Christ. So let's look into the scriptures uh, just for a few minutes because they speak uh, really to this exact thing. Um, we're going to look at the book of James, a little book with a lot of big ideas and good stuff in it. James chapter 1. And I want to start by reading just the, the first verse. Uh, excuse me, not the first verse, but the eighth verse, but just one verse. We're going to read 8 through 16 eventually, but I want to start with verse 8 because it succinctly says exactly what I've been talking about. And it says that a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Now, when you're saying one thing and doing another, claiming to be one thing and acting another way, I'd say there's pretty much a good case for you being double-minded. Double-minded. And what I like about this particular verse is that it says something that I didn't realize when I was in my teens. And certainly it's really only been probably the last few years that I realized this. But a double-minded man, it says, is unstable sometimes. No, it doesn't say that. Um, You know, in some aspects... No, it doesn't say that either. It says that a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. You know, that double-mindedness, that saying one thing and, and doing another, it actually affects your entire life. Every aspect can be affected by that attitude. Let's read a little further. <clears throat> Verses 12 through 15, it says, Blessed is the man who endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. Let no man say, when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust." And enticed. Then, when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. So, this tells us why we get into this double minded, why we get into this poser um, attitude. It's because we're drawn away. We're drawn away from who we know we are in Christ. We're drawn away by our own desires, and not just desires, but our own evil desires, and the extreme of that, lust. And when we're drawn away by our lust, that causes us to sin and brings forth sin. And then the sin, when it's finished, what does it say? It says it brings death, definitely spiritual, many times physical. Obviously, sin... Original sin brought forth not only spiritual death, but physical death. So the question this morning that I have for you is, are you a double-minded person? 
Now, I don't mean, you know, again, that you're going out conning banks, forging checks, acting like an airline pilot or a college professor or whatever. Are you double-minded in the sense that you sometimes have a case of mistaken identity? You're with your friends. You're with your coworkers. You're with someone who, most likely not a believer, and you slip into this new identity, laughing at their jokes, maybe even making a few jokes. Uh, you know, you're, you're doing things that you know are not honoring to God. If you're here today and you're doing that, you're, you're posing. Perhaps you're, you're posing as a, as a good church-going person when you come here. Um, maybe you're here every Sunday, and you're here on Wednesdays, and you're here on Friday nights helping out with the young people. But you know what? When it comes down to being with somebody that you want to respect you or you want to uh, think you're cool, okay, you act differently. It doesn't just happen to young people. Believe me, I know. I'm guilty of it. I have been guilty of it on many occasions. You're acting like the good kid, you know, but, or you're saying you're the good kid, you're acting like the bad kid. You know, Frank Abagnale did that, and look where it got him. You're going to end up in a French jail. Oh, you. <laughs> or worse, you're going to end up ruining your testimony. You're going to end up ruining your testimony and bringing the Lord's name down. You know, when Jesus saw the Pharisees doing this, this thing, this, this saying one thing and acting another way, of course, he knew their hearts, but he called them, it's not a nice word, he called them hypocrites. There's an old saying, that's not a nice word, hypocrite, but you know what? If the shoe fits, wear it. Have you been guilty of that? Have you been guilty of saying one thing while you're doing another, claiming to be a Christian claiming to be one of the Lord's people and you're doing something that if someone were to, well, let's say, search your your browser history or maybe look at your dash cam. Oh, that's one. Ooh, you're hitting too close to home now, Dan. <laughs> I know it happens with me, you know. Someone cuts you off. You're in a hurry. You know, uh, sometimes you, you use some not so poetic language. Okay, you can all laugh. I know it's happened to every one of you. Okay, <laughs> now Angie doesn't have to feel guilty. <laughs> no, you should. We should all feel guilty if we're we're guilty of doing that. Um, and I and I confess, it's happened to me on many many occasions. Well, let's look at another verse or two. Uh, same book, a few chapters later. James chapter 4. It says this. It says, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship 
of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Hmm. You know, James didn't pull any punches here. Adulterers and adulteresses. Know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. Now, what does it mean to be a friend of the world? What does it mean to be a friend? You know, my friends, I, I, I have, you know, I agree with them, you know, or at least most of the time. I agree with their philosophy. I agree with, the, uh, you know, who they are and, and what they're doing, if they're a true friend. Um, and I have things in common with them. I think that's what friends are, right? Um, but, you know, if you're a friend with the world, that means that you have agreement. With all that the world glorifies, deceit versus truth, that's what the world tells you. You know, if you can get away with it, there's nothing wrong with it. Um, how about this one? Illicit sex versus love. Okay? And how about getting ahead rather than putting others first? That's what the world says. Have you ever found yourself being a friend with the world? You know, if, if you are, James says that you're an enemy of God. You're an enemy of God. Now, that's that's pretty black and white. I mean, that's like, um, you know, we were talking a minute ago about posing as, you know, something that we weren't and, you know, uh, acting one way this time and one way. No, it doesn't say that, you know, uh, occasionally you're an enemy with God. It says you're an enemy of God if you are a friend of the world. It's not my words. Let's go back to James 1 again. <clears throat> Verses 21 and 22. <clears throat> it says this. It says, Wherefore, lay apart or lay aside all filthiness, and superfluity of naughtiness, or overflow of naughtiness, if you will, and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. The engrafted word. I love that. I love that term. I had an uncle uh, years ago. Uh, my uncle Bert. Some of you know him. I remember him. And he uh, he had a, he had a double lot. He had a, a the lot that his house was built on, and then he owned the lot next door to it and there was no house on it and so he had a huge when I was a kid it seemed like a humongous yard okay and you know you wouldn't know it because it was filled with trees and he loved fruit trees I mean he had every kind of tree I mean as I was growing up I learned you know what uh, uh, sapodilla was what uh, sugar apples were or unknown for those of you um, I, I learned what lychee nuts were and I learned all of these. He had all of these. He had every kind of avocado and every kind of mango. And he actually would take and graft some of these fruit trees uh, with other fruit trees to be able to get uh, the characteristics of both fruit. And the way he did that, okay, was he would cut into the bark of the tree and put a branch that he had cut from the other tree inside that. He would engraft, okay? 
he would engraft one tree into another, uh, kind of like a, an indwelling tree, you know. Um, and that's what this verse is saying. It's saying that we need to receive with meekness. Now, I thought about that and I said, why meekness? Well, you know what meekness is? It's controlled strength. Submission. We need to be submissive to the engrafted word. Hmm. Wow. That's uh, that's a tall order, to be submissive. Because it's not saying sometimes. It's not saying, you know, when you're not trying to be the cool kid or when you're not trying to, you know, impress your friends at work, it says we need to do this. We need to receive the engrafted word. And, the, you know, I love I love the, the terminology here um, that's used. You know, you, you might be a, a, a Christian here today that's posing. Um, you know, you might be you might be one who is is perhaps more often than not you're trying to be cool. But, you know, the way to not do that, because James says it, he says, wherefore, lay apart. You know what that means? Well, Bob Newhart said it this way. Just stop it. Stop it. Just stop it. Lay apart. Lay aside. Stop doing this. Stop the filthiness. Stop the sin. Stop posing. Well, how do you do that? Well, he goes on in the next phrase to say it. And receive with submission, with meekness, the engrafted word. Now, this is where it gets interesting. That word for word there that he uses is the word logos in Greek. And that is an interesting term. You know, it, it, it encompasses uh, so much meaning. And you could get into you, There's a whole message in this. But that word logos is the same word that's used in the Gospel of John when it's talking about the Lord Jesus. And it says, the word became flesh and lived among us. So that word that you're receiving, really this verse could be translated, you're to receive with meekness the Lord Jesus. You're to receive him, and that's that's how you stop the posing. That's how you stop living one way and claiming to be something else or vice versa. You know, just because you trusted the Lord Jesus as your Savior doesn't mean you are going to be automatically able to not sin without even trying. And I'm sure that anybody here could attest to that. How many here trusted the Lord Jesus and you haven't sinned yet? I'm not even going to bother looking. <laughs> you haven't sinned since. Well, unless there was somebody that trusted the Lord during the song service, I imagine that that's probably not, not true of anyone. But, you know, we need to receive the engrafted word. We need to, to receive, because it's also talking about the written word of God. It's like a double meaning. Oh, wait a minute. We've already talked about double, no, it's double-mindedness. It's something different. But it's talking about the written word 
and the living word, the Son of God, and we need to receive that with meekness daily. That's how we can put aside, stop it, if you will. That's how we can do it. I'm not saying it's always going to be easy, but there's a way. And James tells us exactly how. And another really cool thing here is that verse 22 says, says this, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Wow, deceiving your own selves. Doing uh, or hearing and, and mental assent to it, but then not doing it. Or worse, doing something opposite. Doing something opposite. And what does it say? It says you're deceiving your own self. What, isn't that what we've been talking about? That's exactly what we've been talking about mistaken or losing our identity you don't even know who you are if you are double-minded if you're claiming to be a believer and living even if it's for a time period and living some other way that word doer I want to look at that too it's an interesting word. It's very close to another word, which we'll maybe mention as well if we have time. Um, so not to be a hearer only of the word, not to just hear what the Lord says, but to do. And that word doer that James is admonishing us to be, doers, that word can be translated, and I say can be. It wasn't translated that way here, but it can be translated Poet. Now, wait a minute. <clears throat> so be a poet. Hmm. I love it. If you think about it, what does a poet do? They create. They rhyme words. They put words in sync. So, could look at this verse. And I'm not giving you a translation of the verse. I'm just telling you something that may help you. It helped me. Uh, you could look at this as saying, get your life in sync with the word, the engrafted word. Get your life in sync, rhyming with God's word, with the Lord Jesus. Because that's where our identity comes from. As Glenn has shared with us many times, I still have the sheet in my Bible, I leave one there and I have one up on the refrigerator. Who am I in Christ? We know who we are in Christ. And if we can receive the Lord Jesus and his word daily, daily, then we can be in sync. We can be a poet of the Lord Jesus. We can be a poet of the Lord Jesus. I'll say it again, because he is where our identity comes from. There's another word very similar, and I thought about this when I was going over this. Um, I think it was Michael Card wrote a song called The Final Word years ago. And uh, he talks about that song in, in a study book that I have. And uh, the word that he talks about 
is uh, the Greek word poema. Very similar to this. In fact, it's a derivative of the same word. The, the word we're just saying is a poet is poetes. Uh, don't take my, tra- <laughs> my pronunciation because, first of all, no one knows how the original Greek was pronounced, but, you know, uh, I'm just reading it phonetically. Poetes is poet, and from the same word we get poema, which means workmanship, workmanship, skilled artistic workmanship, or we get our word poem from it, okay? And I think it's interesting because basically in Ephesians 2, uh, verse 10, we're we're told, we're told by Paul that we are his poems, his workmanship. That's the word. Um, And we're created in Christ Jesus for good works. Wow. So we're to be a poem, an artfully uh, created work of Christ. And we're to be poets in sync with his word and with him. Interesting. You know, there's one thing. I said that there was application here to the gospel. Obviously, we've been talking about that. But there's one thing worse today than being here and being a poser a Christian acting like a friend of the world, which I think we've all agreed, or at least I agreed, uh, that we're all guilty of, and certainly I am. There's one thing worse than that, though, today. If you're here and you're not a Christian, you've never trusted the Lord Jesus as your Savior, okay? I look around, and I know most of you, if not all of you, and I'm pretty sure... Everyone here has trusted the Lord Jesus. But you know what? Maybe you've only been coming here for a year or two. Maybe you've been coming here for 10 years. Maybe you've been coming here for 20 years or going to church, perhaps even your whole life. But if you've never trusted the Lord Jesus as your Savior, if you've never said, Lord Jesus, I know you died for me on the cross, and I want you to come into my life. I want you to save me from my sins. And I thank you for paying for him on the cross of Calvary. If you've never done that, and you're here today, or maybe you've been here, like I said, for a year, two years, ten years, and you're posing as the good kid. You're posing as a Christian. But you've never trusted the Lord Jesus. Wow. That's dangerous. It's dangerous because... Well, the Lord Jesus said it. You're a hypocrite. Not my words. You still have your sins on you. You've never had them paid for. You still have your sins unforgiven. And what did we say sin leads to or finishes? Death. Death. Hmm. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned. We all were under that sentence of death. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's good news. If you're here today and you are posing as a Christian, but you've never turned your life over to Christ, you've never come to the Lord Jesus and said, I want to be saved. I want the Lord Jesus in my life. Then 
the best gospel verse ever written. The Lord Jesus himself said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, his living word, his logos, that whosoever believes in him should not see death, perish, but will have everlasting life. (laughs) Not here on earth, thank goodness, but in heaven with him. I hope that if you're here this morning and you're a believer and you have trusted the Lord Jesus, I hope that just hearing some of this has maybe kind of made you think, you know, we need to be who we say we are. We need to mean what we say, say what we mean and mean what we say. We need to do what we what would match, what would be in sync, what would rhyme with who we say we are. We were created. We were created. We were we're created as a poem, a workmanship of God unto good works. I'd like to just end with a, a hymn, if you'll indulge me. We're almost out of time, but uh, if you would turn to number 411. <clears throat> of course, I was going to say I didn't bring a book. Somebody else thought of it. This verse is 1, 3, and 4. 1, 3, and 4 of Christ liveth in me. And then I'll close in prayer. Our loving God and our Heavenly Father, we do thank you this morning for our Lord Jesus Christ. Our Father, we thank you that he is your living word, the final word, the word that was spoken and it brought us salvation. Father, we thank you this morning that uh, we have those here that have truly experienced salvation in him and truly have him living in us. Our Father, we pray that if there's anyone here this morning that does not know the Lord Jesus as their Savior, that today they would trust him. They would simply with meekness receive him our father we pray that each one of us as we go through our daily lives when we're tempted to act in a way that does not glorify you attempted to live in a way that is not honoring that you would help us to recall who we are to remember our identity in the lord jesus christ we ask these things now praying a blessing on each one here and every family that's represented. We pray this for this evening's meeting. We ask our God and Father that you would just uh, give us a spirit of unity as we hear um, the plans for the assembly for this coming year. We ask your blessing. We do so now in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen.